Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. My name is Blake Brown, and you're about to listen to our midweek Bible study for the fall 2022 semester. Uh, This semester, we're covering prophecies that are fulfilled by Christ, looking at Old Testament passages about the Messiah, and then seeing where and how Christ fulfills them in the New Testament, and what that means for us today. I hope you enjoy as we study God's perfect word. Prophecies fulfilled. Um, Where Christ fulfills prophecies that are prophesied about in the Old Testament. And then we're looking at the fact that Christ would be, this Messiah would be fully man and fully God. And yes, this is prophesied about in the Old Testament. And it happened. So let's dive in. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Um, We've already looked at Isaiah some. It's a pretty big um, book. So if you flip to the beginning, right, of the Bible-ish, it's there. No, middle-ish, I don't know. We'll pass the middle. Anyways, um, it's there, and we see a lot about the Messiah from this prophet, about the coming Messiah. We'll be in chapter 7, and then we're going to jump to 9 eventually. So, so far we saw the birth, like you all said. um, Saw that he was going to be born of a virgin, um, then where he would be born in Bethlehem. Lastly, we saw that the Messiah would be the seed of Abraham and the son of David. Um, where, just out of curiosity, where is the Davidic covenant found? Second Samuel, Samuel seven, right? I drilled it into y'all's head last week, so thankfully you remembered. So we've already seen this verse in Isaiah seven. We're gonna look at it again today. Uh, so look at Isaiah seven verse fourteen. It says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel." Okay. We saw this, right? A virgin being um, bearing a child and having a son. That's a sign from God. And his name is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us, right? Emmanuel means God with us. So there already seems to be a sign with us looking back, right? So we've seen who Christ is. He is the Messiah. Looking back, we're like, oh yeah, that's talking about Christ, the Messiah, right? God in the flesh. Um, but if I was born before Christ, I don't know, right? I don't know if I'd be like, this is literally God is going to come down and be fully human and fully God in the flesh from this one verse. Right? Um, I mean, I think like, yeah, it's God's presence alongside us, those sorts of things, you know, who, who did me? So let's look and see if there are more verses about this. So flip over two chapters, or maybe just look down if your Bible is really um, fine print. Chapter 9, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it um, and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So a child is born who the government rests on his shoulders. And here are the names that we see here. Right. We see wonderful God or wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. That's pretty clear, right? Like a child will be born to us. So if someone is born physically as human and um, he's going to be the counselor, mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. Those are pretty amazing names if you see that, especially from a son being born or son being given, a child being born. So you see this, this Messiah it's kind of been looking forward to this whole Old Testament. You're seeing how it's kind of fitting together and that there's some sort of God coming in the form of man. So not only um, those names, but look at the expanse and the timeline of this throne, right? No end to the increase of his government or of peace. 
throne of David over his kingdom to establish, uphold justice, righteousness from then on and forevermore. Right? So those sort of things only be fulfilled by God, being there eternally and being over everything. Um, so God, only God can fulfill this. But wait, there's more. Right? Um, so uh, we don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. But Jeremiah 23 Verses 5 and 6 say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So God had said that eventually all of Israel will be brought together and be in the land. So he's kind of in the context of this passage. Um, now he elaborates and said, Behold, the days are coming, I will raise up, uh, for David, also could this word also mean from, for from David in the Hebrew. Um, raise up from David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king, act wisely, do justice, righteous in the land. His is Judah, right? Israel will be saved. Israel will be dwell securely. They'll all be there securely. And um, this is his name, right? Okay, now here's his name, who he's going to be. He'll be called the Lord our righteousness. So who could tell me what Lord in all caps means if you see in the Old Testament? Yahweh, right? And Yahweh is God's personal name. It's Y-H-W-H um, in Hebrew. It's, it's the personal name of God, right? the ever-existing one, um, all of that. So this Messiah from David will rule and reign, and his name shall be Yahweh, right? God's personal name. So we're starting to see a picture form here. right? Even just these few passages we looked at, we see that this Messiah figure is going to rule and reign. He's going to come up, be the son of David, as promised to David that we saw last week. His name is God, ultimately. It'll be God and man somehow fitting together. So, now, let's look at the Messiah. Right? He's already come. The Savior's already come. So, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans is written by the Apostle um, Paul to, guess who? The Romans, right? Um, the Romans. And it looks back at the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who had already come, he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. Um, so Romans starts with a greeting from Paul and then a proclamation about Christ. So Romans 1, <clears throat> verse 4, verses says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this gospel was proclaimed beforehand, it says. Um, as we've been seeing in this study, right, the prophets have talked about this Messiah coming and this good news that was going to come. And so we talked about beforehand, um, and it's ultimately concerning the Son, right? Concerning God's Son. He declared that the son of David, according to the flesh, right, because he was born a descendant of David. We saw that last week as we looked at both um, Mary and Joseph's lineage, um, <clears throat> particularly Mary's. And um, he was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So physically, Christ is a descendant of David. We saw that last week. But then he showed himself as God not just through the miracles, not just through his powerful teaching and the truths that he had, but he showed himself as God when he raised himself from the dead. Other people have done miracles. Other people have done really cool things, taught with authority, but hadn't raised themselves from the dead. And that's where he showed, I am God. 
Uh, so Paul says that's who he is, right? He says, and according to the Spirit of Holiness, at the very end, he says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So fully man and fully God here, right? Born of a virgin, but then has God in the flesh. So let's ask, what does Christ say about this? Right? Well, first of all, we know in John 10, 30, um, he says that I and the Father are one, right? And so he talks about how we are one there. But um, even more definitive place where this is said is somewhere else. So turn to John 14. John chapter 14. There's a conversation happening right here. And it's at the Last Supper. Um, if you were there on Sunday, we uh, had the Lord's Supper. Uh, we have, I think, like once a quarter, so once every three months or so we have it. So do this in remembrance of Christ and how um, he gave his body and gave his blood um, to pay for our sins. And so that's why we have the bread and we have the, well, we have the juice that we um, partake of to remember what Christ has done. So this is at the Last Supper. He's sitting there with his disciples and talking with them. And uh, <clears throat> just literally in the end of chapter 13 said to Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And then says, don't worry about it. So look, look at uh, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know where I'm going, the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How will we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Christ is like, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you all. Right? And then you're going to be with me. right? So all the believers are going to be with me. Thomas is like, uh, how are we going to know where to go? Right? How are we going to know where to be with you? And Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So without Christ, we're not getting to heaven or to the Father or doing anything. So what is the way to eternal life? Is it doing good? Is it through believing in Christ's death and resurrection? Is it salvation a fact or a set of beliefs that you have? Ultimately, Christ answers that here. He says that salvation is in a person. Salvation is in Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets there not except through me. Right? Now, his death and resurrection is how he's able to pay for my salvation, right? I don't believe that Christ died and rose again. That's why I'm going to heaven. He did that whether I believe it or not, right? But I place my faith in him to get me to heaven, right? I place my faith in him to be the one to save me. Either way, he died and he rose again. But I place my trust and my belief in him to save me. He's able to do it once again because he died and rose again. My faith ultimately is in the person of Christ, right? That's who I'm trusting to get me there. Because I know he's God. Why do I know he's God? He says he is, right? There's also some crazy people who say they're God. What else? What do we just look at? Prophecy is fulfilled. fulfilled. And what did he do to prove that he's God? He died and rose again. He died and rose again, right? (laughs) Second part is the main part, right? (laughs) So we see that he rose again. So it's like, hey, he has the authority to give me eternal life because he has power over death. So I'm trusting in him to give me eternal life. Okay. <clears throat> All the way back, I digress, right? Um, we go back to the passage, right? Keep reading in uh, John 14. It says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know 
him, you have seen me, you have seen him, and you've seen him. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Right. So no one comes to the Father except through Christ, and then if you had known him, he says, you would also have known the Father. You have known him and seen him. Philip doesn't quite get it still, right? Um, he's like, hey, just show us the Father. It'll be enough, right? I'll be content. You just show, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, how long have you been with me, Philip? Right? You've been with me for a long time following me, and you still ask me to show you the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Showing that he is God, right? God in the flesh. He just tells us himself that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So we've seen the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament. So what? Right? How does that affect us? Right? It's cool, right? He came down as God in the flesh, and that was prophesied about, and he fulfilled that, so he was a long-awaited for Messiah. But how does that affect us, and how do we apply that in our lives? Well, first of all, Hebrews 10.4 says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of mankind. He had to become our perfect, unblemished human sacrifice to pay for our human sins. The blood of bulls and goats, all the sacrifices they had in the Old Testament, they would, it could cover, it could atone for, cover the sin, but they couldn't pay for and take away the sin of mankind. Christ became the perfect, unblemished human sacrifice to pay for our human sins. So first of all, that's one big thing, right? That it affects us. Secondly, we're made in the image of God, right? We see that in uh, Genesis. And this contains at least these three major aspects of us. We have mind, we have emotion, and we have will. It's different than other species. We have all three, and so does God. We have a mind, logical, we're able to reason and do things. Uh, we, have an, we have emotional things, right? Emotional attachments. We watch, you know, In the Arms of the Angel, the, the PETA <laughs> commercial, and you get a little teary-eyed, maybe. I don't, honestly. But some people do, right? There's emotional attachment to these three-legged dogs who are limping through the street. I don't know. Anyways, we have emotion. Um, and he has a will, and we have a will, right? We do things, even though they may not make, maybe make the most sense. We have, like, I'm going to do this, right? It may not be the most beneficial for us. Maybe it helps others. We have things that we want to do. We have a drive and a passion to do things. So God has a mind. He's logical. He's reasonable. He has emotion. He gets angry. He, he's sorrowful. There's times where he's sorrowful, we see in the Bible. Um, he has a will. Even though he's not worthy of the death that he paid on the cross, he still carried out his will. And we see this in Jesus' life, right? Not to go too far into it, this could be like a three-semester study at seminary, I feel like, if we go into the ways that were made in the image of God and what areas he has. But we see this in the shortest book, or the shortest book, sorry, the shortest verse in the English Bible. Jesus wept. Right? Christ, the, the background of this is that um, Christ is a friend of Lazarus who died. And when he gets there, uh, there's sorrow going on, right? It's pretty sad, everything happening. And Jesus weeps because Lazarus has died. Anybody know what happens to Lazarus? He rose again, right? On the third day, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know if it's third, I think it's like, what, second, no, four, I don't know how long it was. He waited a few days before he went. Christ did, I don't remember how long it was. But anyways, in like two minutes after Jesus cries, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Ultimately, but then what happened to Lazarus? He's still walking around here on earth. He 
he died again, right? He, he, re- he, he raised him, but ultimately was to die again. Different from Christ's resurrection where he will never die. So Christ knows that Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead, and yet he still weeps. Right? Death is a sorrowful thing. It's a mournful thing. Even as believers, we have a hope. Right? We have a hope that we're going to be with God one day, and we'll, see, we'll be with all of our fellow believers for eternity someday. Death is not the end. However, we were not created for death. In the garden, we were created, and if we hadn't sinned, we would live forever. We'd be physical people on a physical world doing things physically with our spirit, with our soul, everything else uh, with us. We weren't designed to be separated from our bodies. So it's a sorrowful thing that happens. And Jesus understands that. God in the flesh understands that. He weeps at this happening. Our God weeps with us. He wept as a human, right? He has compassion. Many times in Scripture you see that Christ had compassion on the people or he saw it was a compassion on them because maybe they were like a sheep, uh, sheep without a shepherd or other things that he does and he does things for them and heals them and such because he's compassionate. So our God weeps with us and is sorrowful with us because he has empathy. Right? He's empathetic. We have a God and a high priest who became man. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Right? He's tempted in all ways yet without sin as Hebrews 4 talks about. Um, he lives, <clears throat> he lived in the sorrows of life on earth. We don't have to think about that, right? How old was Christ when he started doing his ministry? It's like 30-ish, right? Uh, that's a pretty long time. Uh, there's not many of us in here who are over 30, right? We're at that age yet. Think about all the life you've been through, all the things you've, you've seen happen, and maybe relationships that's gone poorly, or people you know who have died. You're not even to the age of where Christ started his ministry yet. And so he's been in the sorrow of this world, and he's lived in it. He's been in the general monotony of daily life before, right? the routine of life. He had loved ones die. He had people reject him, call him names, yet he never sinned. So you can empathize with our weaknesses because God became a man and lived among us. And he's been tempted in all ways. So we can go to him when we need help. Um, when we think God can't relate to what we've gone through, Let's take a minute to think about that, right? It's like, God, you could never relate to me stubbing my toe. And then you're like, maybe you can, right? Maybe you can. So if anyone wants to, let's take a few examples of times where you've thought maybe God can't relate to a situation. Let's take a second to think about it, right? And think about ways that he has. So what are some times where you've thought God cannot relate to this certain situation? And this is going to be open for anyone to, to answer. temptation what else I think sometimes when my anxiety was really really bad I think about, don't you understand how hard this is no. yeah I was thinking about that one some earlier today and I don't know if it's heresy to say that Christ was anxious it might be it says do not be anxious for anything 
Um, but he definitely has something going on in the garden, right? Like he was sitting there praying, God, please take this cup from me. I, I know what death I'm about to go through, right? I'm about to be tortured. All of humanity's sins is going to be placed on me as I have all this physical stuff going on at the same time. And it said that his sweat were like drops of blood, right? It was very much basically dreading what he was about to go through. And, of course, he went through it anyways for us. There's a lot that he had to be anxious for. Whether he was anxious or not, I don't know. But he was something was going on, right? Yeah. What else? One thing I thought several times was that Christ can't relate with the loss of friendship. But... He lost a lot of friendships. Yeah. Right. I don't remember how many disciples he lost at that one point. It was a lot. Yes. He had a lot of people that he um, <clears throat> turned away from him and rejected him. And you think about, too, <clears throat> how old is Jesus? 30. Like, yes, right? <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, ultimately, He's eternal. He is God. He's the creator of all things. You see in John 1 that he uh, nothing has been created that has been created apart from him. He's created everything. He's created each and every person and knows each and every one of us like intimately. Um, unbelievers, believers, doesn't matter. Either one, he's known all of us intimately. Um, it says that in John 1 also that he came into his own and his own did not receive him. Uh, ultimately then, whoever did receive him did then make, gave the right to become children of God. But he knows what's like to be rejected, right? They either have people who maybe were close friends, like disciples and stuff following him, and then just went off the other way. Or people he's created, people he's chosen to serve him, right? The Israelites, over and over and over again. Weren't doing too well <laughs> with him. So, yeah. What else? What about busyness? Think about that. Right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm just so busy. You know what the biggest response you ever get from any college students if you ask them how they're doing is? Like, how are you? Anybody got any guesses? Tired. Tired, right? <laughs> Tired 80% of the time, right? I mean, I, I was a college student. I get it, right? <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, you're just tired all the time, right? And just busy doing stuff constantly. You feel like just pouring yourself out over and over and over again. Christ was pretty busy right? all he was doing. And in fact, there are times whenever, I think it was right after Lazarus um, had died, he kind of goes out and has some time alone. And then he sees people who need help, and he goes and helps them, right? So he's mourning the death of his friend, and then, boom, people are there wanting, wanting help, and he goes and helps them, right? He's there all day sometimes, just healing people, healing people, healing people. And he was busy in his ministry. And so... Yeah, you can write on that too. Different things too, right? Social pressure, right? He had a little bit of social pressure going on, uh, you could probably say, from the Jews, from people who were uh, not wanting to say the things he was saying. Um, lust, right? He tempted in all ways. That's one of them. Rejection, right? Some things he's gone through. Um, pain, definitely gone through pain. Uh, so many things, right? I, I almost I can guarantee you anytime you're like God you cannot relate to me in this moment sit there and think about it for a minute right read some of the Bible pray about it and you're like hmm I can see how God has experienced this 
So God took on flesh and became a man as was prophesied. He was all God in an all man body. He's an emotional being who lives in an emotionally draining world. In fact, it even says this. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we did not esteem him. So if you're going through something God can relate to you. He's been around a little longer than we have. He's been through a lot. And so we need to turn to him, right? If you think you can't turn to him some situation, go to him. Right? The God who became man to die for your sins is there waiting to comfort you and restore you to fellowship. And so let's go to him. Right? He became man, went through things that we go through, and yet he's able to also be our high priest and someone that we can turn to to find grace and find help in the time of need. So let's do that. We don't have any um, discussion questions tonight, but we have just a few more minutes. So are there any questions or thoughts or comments on any of this? Sometimes I have a hard time understanding the fact that, uh, I mean, I know he was fully man, but I think sometimes it's like, yeah, he was tempted. But wasn't it easier for him to refuse him? You know, because it's hard to comprehend how, you know, for us, we're just like so acquainted with exactly how hard it is because we fail all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, he never failed. He never stumbled. So it's like, wasn't it easier for him? You mm-hmm. know, it, it's hard to grasp that. Yeah. Similarly, I was thinking very much the same thought of like, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around Jesus understanding weakness. Mm-hmm because he's eternally plugged into the Father and he is the source of strength. Yeah. And so like when I'm feeling weak or like unable to or where I feel like pressure where I like oh Paul talked about it and when he was like I strive to not sin but I do it anyways I do what I do not want to do. Yeah. And it's hard for me to understand how Christ the source of strength can sympathize with that. Mm. Yeah and you think about physical weakness well obviously there's the cross right like the almighty all powerful creator of the universe God dies I mean like that's a pretty big deal I mean obviously that's why we're here but um, like the fact that he had weakness he was beaten all those things are happening he was barely able to go on then think about also the all powerful creator of the universe was a baby right that could maybe be frustrating. <laughs> I don't know what it was like, right? We don't know very much about it. But <clears throat> like, <clears throat> God becomes man, and then he's a baby, right? He's born. And like, you got a little bit of time there before you are able to do things, right? He should know. He would know, right? Also, he uh, was so burdened by all these <clears throat> temptations that he was um, had to be tended to by angels. Yeah. So that's a pretty weak point. That was very interesting, right? Whenever he's in the in the depth or in the depth, wow, he's in the uh, desert to be tempted by the devil uh, after his baptism, and the devil tempts him all these different things. How does he respond? By the way, how does Christ respond? Bible verse every single time, huh? Maybe put that in your little applicational side of your brain, right? Um, returns to scripture every time, and then afterwards, angels come and minister to Christ. So it's like, what does that mean? 
some sort of I know it was a lot right that he went through the time of temptation so one thing I've often thought about when it comes to how Jesus dealt with temptation like he'd be like yes but being God it had to be easier right because you'd just be like heck no get behind me mm-hmm. but I thought about lots of ways and what it's like especially when it comes to temptations of strong desires and stuff is that when we are tempted with a desire that is ultimately selfish and stuff, we may be like, no, can't, but just a little bit. It's like, we might satisfy our desire for just a moment and then back off, mm-hmm. which is ultimately sin, but it's like, and it ultimately only makes things worse, but think that, the, but Christ, being a perfect man, he could not give mm-hmm. a thousandth of an inch. Yeah. And to imagine how hard that had to be with the many mm. desires and things that are out there in this world. I think too. Oh, oh, that's a good. That's a good point because you know, like when you get angry with someone, and you're like, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna sigh really loudly. Right? <laughs> it's like I didn't sin. It's like, well, yeah, you did. Right? I mean, you were angry at someone, and you visibly, like, audibly maybe showed your anger towards them and everything. Uh, so maybe try to get them right or whatever else it may be, right? So it's like even a little bit, you don't go all the way. Like, okay, I'm good, right? And you can kind of take that format and go to all different kinds of sin. And like, I'll just do a little bit. I won't do the whole, you know, I'll just go a little bit kind of thing. But he didn't ever, right? There was never that just little bit he took and then then went on or didn't came back or anything. So it's a good point. And he still had the Satan and the, or the demons and this world trying to tempt him all the time. I can imagine they probably try to tempt him pretty strongly, right? Because that would kind of mess up God's plan if he fell into temptations. There's probably a lot of temptation that was going on with Christ. So. Satan had plenty of time to prepare. He had had several, he had had a couple thousand years at yep. least to figure out all the little tricks. So. Yep. All the, the surefire ways to get someone to sin, right? It's like, uh, everyone ever heard the screw tape letters? C.S. Lewis, right? It's like a, so, so it's all fiction, obviously, but it's like some demon telling his like nephew demon or something like that how to, how to tempt men, like that, tempt people and stuff. So interesting, but yeah, all the ten easy steps to get someone to sin, um, didn't work with Christ. So overall, Christ became man, and it, well, I thought it was really cool studying this to see that Old Testament passages were pretty clear that this Messiah would be man and would be God. Uh, I don't even study that very much before. I think it's really cool to see that. And then, to see how that applies to us, right? He became man. He's able to empathize, empathize with us in our pain, in our sorrow, in our mourning, in our, in our temptation. And whenever we do um, sin, he's there ready to reconcile us to himself. Right? Let's turn to him no matter what situation that we're in. Right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, just your word, how great it is, and how it all fits together.